Perspective is up next on Manx Radio and on the programme today. I'm often seen as synonymous with the mid-80s onwards. It was a very uh, a strong group of people, individuals. Um, the union wouldn't have had the influence it did have, only we had a very vibrant base. I mean, union meetings in those days, I, I doubt whether you'd get a handful of them now, but um, they were packed houses, you know. Some were very passionately uh, committed to it, uh, some from an ideological point of view, others uh, simply from a social justice uh, aspect, others because they felt that the island had no political opposition, and I think that's still the same today. I mean, you must uh, read social media, people are climbing up the walls because there's no meaningful opposition. Well, that was always the case, but certainly from the early 80s, the trade union movement, and by that I mean the broader movement, not just the Transport and General Workers Union, um, was the opposition. Trade unions, past and present, will hear from a former union leader plus two current representatives live in the studio. Don't go away. The Nation Station, Manx Radio. Lemai, good day. Welcome to this week's episode of Perspective. I'm Dolan Mercer. William King joins me in the studio. Faster my will. Faster my Dolan. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah. How yeah. are you? Yeah, yeah, not bad, thanks. Good, good. Before the break, we heard briefly from a former trade union leader. Bernard Moffat was an active trade unionist from the 1960s, joining the Transport and General Workers Union and had a brief stint with the Confederation of Health Service Employees too. Moffat later became a branch chairman of the TGWU and also held membership of the Isle of Man Trades Council. This afternoon, we're joined live in the studio by two figureheads of the current trade union movement on the Isle of Man. Um, good afternoon, both, first of all. Afternoon. Afternoon. Could you... Introduce yourselves. Tell us a bit about your current roles, first of all, if you could. Come to you first. Okay, I'm uh, Mick Hewer. I'm the full-time leader for Prospect. Uh, before that, I uh, worked for the TNG. Actually, I took over from Bernard Moffat. So I've been around trade unions uh, well, since I was 15. Started working in shops. I initially joined Union of Shop Distributive and Allied Workers. And then when I uh, started nurse training, I, I joined Cozy, moved to the Isle of Man, uh, joined the Transport and General Workers Union, become active in that. Eventually, as I say, uh, applied for and took over from Bernard Moffat when he retired. Uh, and I've recently, I'll say recently, last year, taken over from Angela Moffat, uh, Bernard's daughter. Thank you very much indeed. Welcome. Um Hi, I'm Debbie Halsall, uh, Regional Officer of Unite the Union on the island. Um, I first became involved in unions 25 years ago when I was actually employed as a government worker within health services. From then, I became quite involved from probably 1999, um, became a union rep. I was the first lady chair of Whitley Council on the island and then I was the secretary. I've held um, lay positions within health services, negotiating peer etc and obviously I applied for the job when Eric Holmes retired. Thank you very much both. Um, to start with tell us where your interest in trade unionism 
came from, if you could? Originally, uh, I, be I became interested. My dad was always in a union. Uh, he was in the National Firemen's Union. Uh, and I first became really aware of what trade unionism was about when dad went on strike, first National Firemen's strike in the, uh, in the 70s. Uh, so there's always been a sort of background. Dad's always believed in workers' rights uh, and unions as a whole. So so it wasn't drummed into me, but I knew it was there. Uh, and I was expected to join a union when I started started employment, and it's sort of, it's progressed from there really. I've always been I've always been involved in social care, helping, looking after people. Hence, I ended up uh, nursing. So that's how I, I've, it, it's, it's grown. Uh, it's never been far, far away. I've always been in a union, either as a lay official and later a, a full-time official. Obviously, with this accent, you know I'm from the northeast of England. Um, I it was <laughs> It was obviously pits and shipbuilding, so obviously we were very aware of unions and what happened when I was growing up. When I came to the island, it was more quieter. Obviously, I concentrated um, bringing my children up, you know, as Mary's as housewife. Then when I went into health services, just seeing what was happening around and the way that some people were being treated, gave me the appetite to basically find out information and see what trade unions would do and how they make differences and support people. And that's where I am. So how does trade unionism different on... How does it differ on the Isle of Man compared to elsewhere, perhaps, do you think? The national issues are, uh, are different. I mean, some, some of them overlap. Certainly the issues around uh, Brexit that everybody's been listening to for the past three years, there's, there's an overlap there. Uh, some of the national issues on the island are, are obviously obviously different. Uh, the setup is much the same. We, we operate at, a, at branch level, so the members... Uh, decide the way the union locally is going to run uh, and they decide what issues they want us to take up and that's dictated by what's actually happening in individual workplaces so the, the slight differences we've seen um, several current examples on the Isle of Man recently um, to do with industrial action or disputes over pay in terms and conditions um, do you think that it's something which is coming to popularity, perhaps, at the minute, maybe? Popularity? Or maybe that's the wrong word. Um, it's happening more often. It's happening more often. I think one of the things is, you know, what we are and what I always say is, I just facilitate the voice of the members. They come to us if they've got issues and then we drive them forward. But it's always based on what they want. The issue is I think sometimes it comes to the stage where people, uh, you know, they get backed into a corner and say they've had enough. So that's when we become involved. And I think that's more more the case. It's not the popularity. It's the, it's the injustice of it all, I think, is one of the things. And have you seen differences in union memberships lately? Yeah. We've had... Uh, we see influxes. Uh, it is difficult to recruit and maintain membership. Uh, especially in government and, and across government because with the SAVE initiatives people are taking voluntary uh, early retirement uh, they're not replacing posts so obviously we haven't got new members coming through that we've then got access to recruit 
but generally o overall uh, we've maintained and made small increases uh, but it's not easy uh, as the workforce shrinks our job becomes more and more difficult in terms of recruiting and retaining members and I would imagine that that's the same most unions on the island or professional bodies if the, if, if the membership if the potential members aren't there because they're not being employed because people are making cutbacks which is then leads to the problems that we've got with people becoming uh, stressed in the workplace are taking on additional responsibilities they're working all the hours god sends they're generally not getting paid for the hours that they do because of the cutbacks so we've got less members potentially but the problems are increasing the, the two are interlinked a simple point but you said at the top of the program that you were kind of expected to join a union when you started work is it the case that people join and then are a member of a union sort of for life or do people dip in and out do you find i think most people join and remain a member for life if if, if you've got that sort of persona about you in hilton you're either going to join or you're not going to join i think uh, and both both unions myself and, and debbie we we carry out regular recruitment and retention uh days around around the island and you have those people that uh, will sit and listen to what you're saying I think it's a bit like an insurance policy and you've got the other people that are adamant don't want anything to do with unions with the worst thing since sliced bread and it doesn't matter what we offer them and what we what we advise them they're not going to join we think we seem to you know our union has grown um, and it is one of them that we do see you know as Mix alluded to about the retention and um, you look at the age demographic of the people that were supporting you know Everybody seems to be getting that bit older and I think there needs to be more interest from the younger side because I don't think they really understand what a trade union is, you know, when people say, oh, they do nothing. Well, thanks to trade unions, you know, they work 37 hours a week. They have weekends off, they get paid for bank holidays, etc. That was all on the back of what trade unions were about. Things people probably take for granted, yes. aren't they? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that yeah. fair, yeah. do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And what I didn't say at the top of the programme is Prospect and Unite are two of the larger unions on the Isle of Man, I believe. We are the largest, yes. So is there, have you got any indication how big the membership base is now? How many members have we got over three and a half thousand? So it's quite a quite a proportion of the Isle of Man's covered then, in that yes, case? Yes, yeah. private and public sector, yeah. Okay. Let's listen a bit more to Bernard Moffat. I asked him how he thought union membership had changed over time. We, we had a steady growth in membership uh, when I was at uh, the TGWU and uh, I, I was still, uh, even after I finished in 2007, I, I worked on in the branch and um, of course with the merger of the two unions which became Unite at that point, I think membership was an all -time, at an all-time high. I mean, I don't know um, what the situation is now. I know from when Angela was with Prospect membership there grew um, dramatically. So I'd say this uh, probably membership isn't at the level that it was um, uh, some years ago, but it'll still be substantial. And the thing to bear in mind here is if you look at um, ILO or OECD statistics, the percentage of fair uh, workers in unions in the Isle of Man is dramatically higher than in a lot of countries that you might associate with uh, uh, militant trade unionism, like France, for example. France has something like 
seven or eight percent of members who are union members, and yet you'll often see disputes in France. I would say the the overall membership in the Isle of Man, and this is a guesstimate, uh, although the statistics should be available up in the uh, uh, registry now, um, must be in excess of uh, 25 to 30 percent of the uh, workforce in the Isle of Man. So it's a it's a sizable interest group. A ballpark figure, admittedly, but is that is that roughly true? Do you think? I would imagine yeah. so. Yeah. To, to be on, to be honest, I, I uh, the statistics and statistics. So I, I look at our membership base, and it and it it, it fluctuates, uh, and there's reasons why it fluctuates. Summer is traditionally quiet. Uh, then you'll get a, an, an influx this time of year. Actually, uh, summer people tend to go on holiday and they become less interested. So. Like I say, you can read the statistics. Yeah, you can read the figures this week, and you can read the figures next week, and it will tell you two totally different things. But overall, I think we're pretty pretty static. Uh, and as a percentage, as Bernard says, of the working population on the island, I think we're pretty high, certainly in the thirty yeah. percent. Yeah. You mentioned a bit about um, the union's work to uh, recruit more people and to have drives and retention as well. What kinds of things are you saying to people to try and uh, keep them interested and involved i think really when you look at it is it's, it's the you go in you're speaking to people and ask them what issues have they got is to what benefit you have as being a union member basically facilitating the voice being able to go up and have conversations um protection of terms and conditions you know peer negotiations etc that's what we do so we probably in every forum peer negotiations throughout the island as regards to public sectors as well so it's them kind of things and we've got to listen because that's what it's about it's about listening and not going off on a tangent you know and saying we do this we do that it's, it's basically what a trade union is what we stand for and what we can help and help support somebody moving forward. I think we touch on many things, and I think what's coming to the fore more and more is the well-being of people, the mental well-being of people. Um, and not only are we a trade union, we seem to now have become the welfare officer, the support network, the the agony ant, the everything. And it's just basically knowing and having the assurance that if somebody phones and asks to speak to me, I speak to them, I support them, and we move forward with issues. We don't sit down and do nothing. So does a union have a responsibility for some signposting as well, perhaps, to direct people in direction for i don't know people in professional backgrounds and and we do it's not uh, it's there's a perception that a trade unionist is all about uh discipline and grievances and when things go wrong in the workplace uh people being sacked people being suspended and it is to a certain extent but we are seeing as debbie says a lot more social social issues and uh, mental health and well-being issues and we are uh, we're part of social services really aren't yeah. we that's where people come into the yeah. office and we only last week i've had people in and uh, we've been signposting them down to incapacity benefit uh, markwell house staff welfare uh, mental health services so, so it's a whole package of things that we that, that we offer now and we're expected to offer uh, and there's various reasons for that I think part of the 
part of it is because particularly around mental health issues it's uh, it's well publicized it's at, at the forefront now uh, so we're, we're picking up on that and there's a there, i think there's a perception that if 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 you want anything work related whether you, you you're stressed whether you're in a disciplinary whether you're sick the first point of contact is your union rep uh, and that's where people go and we've actually education wise with unite we've also got on the island and um, trained mental health first aiders as well i'm one of them as well um so you know the facility is always there and we grow and we grow on the basis of what we're being told. If we can support somebody, it's not always, as Mick says, you know, the disciplinary, the grievance, it's the holding of the hands, listening, being able to just sit down and say, right, what's up? What can we do is to move forward and help alleviate problems. You know, we've become, we have a benevolent fund as well. You know, if people have hardship payments, etc., we do all that as well. Do you think people are aware of what trade unions do and what purposes they serve i personally don't think they're as as aware as they could be and part of that is uh the fault of the education well you can't say it's a fault of the education system i don't think the history of trade unionism is taught in schools uh i, I remember one of the essays that i'd written probably 11 or 12 year old you know a couple of pages the 1926 general strike uh, but all that seems to have gone now so uh, so I don't think the younger generation coming out of school understands what trade unionism is about uh, certainly I can't remember what it was called now Friday afternoons was a lesson general studies I think it was called something like that you'd have guest speakers in and every so often somebody from one of the local unions would, would turn up ours was from the uh, miners because we I lived in Yorkshire at, at the time uh, but that doesn't seem to happen now uh, we don't get invited in, into schools and to be honest if we did get invited into schools there's a there's a time issue because we're the same as every everybody else you know we, we've got a, a, a workload but it's something that i think could be looked at we do our best we send out members notices but members notices are, are, are going to members and you rely on them distributing them to people that aren't, aren't members so it is difficult we did attend last year at the skills exhibition down at the villa. Um, obviously, you know, the kids are coming in, seeing what they want to do when they leave school, etc. And quite a few of them were saying, well, what, what do you do? Explain what trade union is. We didn't know that because it's not. It should maybe be built into the curricula at school to this is what it is. Because as I said, you'll hear people say, oh, what do trade unions do? As I said, gives you the, you know, the fact that you have bank holidays, all them things that's taken for granted. They were long, hard and fought. There were issues that was brought up by, you know, multi-unions. And basically, this is what we've given you, we've given you moving forward. So I think the engagement needs to be there with the, with the younger generation to have an understanding what trade unions are. And what's the reception like when you do explain what unions do at events like that? Really interesting. And they were like, mm. yeah, you know, they, they don't they don't have an understanding. It's like, can we have, you know, paperwork? We give them background information. We've got booklets. So they took them away and said, you know, well, definitely think about it when we go, you know, whatever job we, we, we take. And then we do talks to the student nurses 
Um, last September, we spoke to the student nurses as regards to what it is that you have. You know, you might provide um, indemnity cover for student nurses going up because it's one of those really difficult right. jobs. You know, you're given three years of total commitment um, and saying there's going to be peaks and troughs. There's going to be days you're going to say, I don't want to be a nurse. And there's other days where you're thinking, you know, I love my job. I guess that comes back to the mental health thing is that... Um, from the sounds of things, that's something the responsibility of a union has uh, changed to to encompass, if you like, which mm. perhaps it might not have done in, in, in previous years or previous generations. I think as Bernard alluded to earlier, you know, when he was the officer, there was lots of workers. Um, you look at the age demographics on the island and the workforce is basically the fact that, with especially within government, there has been a lot of jobs have gone, but the expectation is one person now does at least two or three people's job. And that is, you know, the pressure and the added pressure of somebody working multiple jobs within government to basically make ends meet. Hmm. Because it seems to be that the uh, Isle of Man looks after the very rich and seems to throw the have-nots to the side. We'll come to that shortly. I think that could be a, a big topic to come. Um, my full interview with Mr Moffat was about 40 minutes. I won't play all of that in full. Um, this is another extract where he talks about the way that unions go through uh, a cyclical popularity. Manx people are slow to uh, uh, move in that uh, sense. The union movement had been um, fairly vibrant here in the 1920s, the old General Workers' Union, which the uh, TGWU subsumed in 1929, um, it was quite um, active at that time, the, the union movement. And, of course, it led to uh, draconian legislation, the 1936 Trade Disputes Act, just as the uh, um, activity in the 1980s led to the Trade Union Act and the Employment Act off the early 1990s. So it had this uh, cyclic thing. Manx people, Manx working people would take a lot and then eventually they would turn. And um, as I say, although I'd been in the movement for about um, a decade and a half by the time uh, I became an activist in 1980, that was just a point where things boiled over. And uh, for 15 years, I would say, we had um, uh, quite significant activity. There were a lot of strikes, for example, and a lot of disputes which didn't go to a strike, but they were quite um, nasty anyway. Uh, on both sides, I hasten to add. So Mr Moffat's spoken about times where activism and trade union um, involvement has, has been heightened, perhaps. Are we, are we seeing that again now? I think you're going to see it. Uh, as Debbie was saying uh, a couple of minutes ago, the the, the cutbacks that we're seeing, and, it, and if you invite somebody from government onto your programme, they'll say there aren't any cutbacks, the, the, the streamlining and making things more efficient. At the end of the day, they're cutting things back and they can they can butter that up and put it out how they like. That, that, that's a fact. There aren't as many people out there doing the same number of jobs. And they'll probably come back next week and, and point out that I'm wrong and yeah. massage some figures. But the fact is, I, th I think as people are under more and more pressure to produce more and more with less, 
you're going to see more and more mental health issues you're going to see increases in sickness and that exacerbates the situation for the people that remain in work uh, and it's going to come to a point where workers are going to say we're not having this anymore and they'll enter into some form of dispute whether that's along the lines of working to rule uh, overtime bans not sh changing shift patterns uh, action short of strike action but i don't think that we can sustain the the levels that we're at, at at now without some form of action at some point in the future from more and more groups and i don't know what the answer is to that the way things are simmering in in the background and there's an awful lot that we're involved in people are coming in our office on a daily basis and telling us how fed up they are mm -hmm. that they don't want to go to work anymore that they're being pressurized into doing x y and z uh, that's only going to accumulate in one thing industrial unrest some more mr moffat he had this to say about the trades union council the isle of man trade union council as it became um manx tuc um, it was a very uh, strong organization in terms of participation again i think a lot of that has waned these days because uh, obviously people are better off we enjoyed a a degree of success and terms and conditions were improved radically and of course when people have got more disposable income um, and more leisure time uh, they obviously don't want to go down the union hall and spend their time. Do you agree with that? I think the trip, well, I'll TUC. let Debbie. TUC yeah. basically meets regularly, um, multifaceted unions, they meet um, every second Tuesday down in Fort Street every second Tuesday of the month. So um, there has been a recess of the last month, but we still get people coming through the door. As I said, multi-unions, they still come through, yeah. There's a perception that we live in um, an affluent society on the Isle of Man, and I use the word perception carefully. Um, if that perception were true, does that negate the need for trade unions, do you think? No. No, certainly no. not because uh, if you if you accept that we and I don't accept this by the way that we live in uh, an affluent society uh, we've only got that through negotiations and the action that, that workers have taken over decades uh, that's assuming that you agree that we are in an affluent society and if we if we are and we've reached that point I think trade unionism uh, will maintain the status quo uh, because once you've got to a point you don't want to be going backwards yeah. but uh, at the other end of the scale I would say I moved to the Isle of Man in 1990 and it's a different place now you didn't hear people talking about food banks you didn't hear people talking about bullying harassment victimization mental health issues stress issues in, in the workplace you didn't hear people talking about homeless not having yeah homelessness uh living on the breadline poverty like that like they do now zero hour contracts the fact that you know what is this government doing with zero hour contracts you know moving forward you know you're getting young people who were taking a zero hour contract how can they get on the property ladder how can they have protection moving forward 
it's unacceptable it shouldn't be it shouldn't be allowed and obviously you know there was a zero hour committee formed there was recommendations come from that and they'll still use them you know you, the fact is you've got people who are working some people are working four or five zero hour co uh, contracts within government and basically they're walking a narrow line because if you do not conform to the way they want you to you no longer have hours which puts them further and further down the road to poverty not only do they do that, they're then trapped because if you're on a zero hour and can't guarantee hours of what you're going to work this week, how can you claim benefits? You can't. So basically, this, this government have allowed and put their head in the sand when it comes to food, food banks, poverty, you know, housing matters, all these people who were sofa surfing. It's, it's all them things that is not acceptable. And this island... Where does it sit as regards to richest in in the world? It is it is it's not very palatable to be hearing these things when you have people coming and all them issues at the side. You know, is the mental well-being of people. You know, somebody having to if a child is sick, and we've heard many many stories of heat and eat. You know, about parents going without food so their children can eat. The fact that they can't do their contracted, well, their zero-hour contract because the child's sick. But by the time they go to benefit offices, it's six weeks before they get a payment, which causes more problem, rent arrears, etc. And it just seems to be the politicians don't really want to talk about that. It's the elephant in the room, but nobody wants to say anything about it. If you're listening to this and you've got a view on anything you hear, text us on 166-177 or email studio at manxradio.com. Station, Welcome back. You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. Before the break, we were talking a bit about the perception of the Isle of Man as being an affluent society. We had a news story this week, which I'm going to put to our live guests. Um, an emergency night shelter for the island's homeless says it's provided almost 300 bed spaces within its six months of opening. Uh, Gry, which is based on Broadway in Douglas, received a government grant to run a pilot programme and recruit a full-time support worker to man the facility. It's since put up 43 different individuals with basic accommodation. And in April, Erica Irwin of the charity told Manx Radio the shelter was pioneer work for the Isle of Man. Um, I said that it was a perception that the island was an aff affluent society. Clearly not for everybody. No. Obviously not for everybody with uh, with those, those those figures, and uh, they're an imp they're, they're a very important uh, important service. Uh, and if I've picked you up right, I think you said it was set up as, as a, a pilot a pilot scheme. To, to my knowledge, it's a, a sort of a fixed term. Um, I would imagine provision. that there's going to be a need for that to be extended way beyond any limited term appointments and fixed term appointments or whatever uh, whatever they want to call it. Uh, and if we're if and I, I say we're we're as an as an island if we're having to provide three hundred odd uh, beds for did you say forty seven fifty uh, odd people there's yeah, some, there's four, something four, 43 wrong. Forty three individuals, three hundred bed spaces over yeah. six months. We're in two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. Uh, we're not in the 1700s when we've got workhouses and people being chucked out and living on on streets. Uh, that's an awful big number, uh, and I think there's a lot of work needs to be done there as to why why that's happening on such a small island. 
coming back to um, trade unions, is there a perception that there's um, perhaps relative inequality or relative poverty growing here, do you yes, think? absolutely there do, is. Do you see evidence of that on a day-to-day basis? We see that, yes, of course we do. We see that we get, um, as I said, I can only speak as regards to what happens with Unite, we are getting more and more um, letters of hardship, um, helping support people. Obviously, you can't go into individual cases or anything like that, but you know, it is a daily occurrence that somebody will come and say they're struggling, whether that be a school uniform for a child, you know, or putting some meal on a, on a table. You know, this is this is 2019 we're talking, and this is how how does this happen on the island? Because the rich are getting rich and the poor are getting poor, and it's a and it's a race to the bottom of um, workers. They are basically. This is not just people who haven't got jobs. This is people who are working um, one, two, two jobs, and are working poor people. And, and how can that happen? How is that being allowed? And why is that not being addressed? We address it. I we address it in, on you know weekly, daily basis. People coming through the door, and it takes a lot for somebody to walk through the door, because the, you know this is this is how they feel. They feel shameful when they're walking through a door when they're putting the hand out. The fact you've got food banks. If you look at how many meals or provision is being provided by these by the Salvation Army, by you know Greer, by Housing Matters, all these people who are working, you know collectively and collaboratively to say to these people you know come to us we're here we're a helping hand it's wrong let's stick with the example of gry and um i'm going to play you the interview from earlier this week Uh, the politician's heart has been devoted to this we're told the assurance chris thomas the minister for policy and reform made to the public on the topic of homelessness in order to bring that seemingly rising number down following figures released by the charity Gry, which is running the emergency night shelter in Douglas, Mr Thomas does admit more work needs to be done, starting with the Landlords Registration Bill, a savaged piece of legislation, in the words of the Minister, that back in 2013 aimed to set a minimum standard in rented properties across the island. Uh, Aaron Ibanez began by asking Mr Thomas if public awareness around homelessness was important. Uh, the public are aware, and uh, Gry, Housing Matters, all the other charities that work in the space of helping people in crisis and people in poverty on the Isle of Man, you know, will tell you that the Manx public does care, both in terms of volunteering and in terms of the generosity with putting the hands in the back pockets. Government has a huge expenditure on things like housing benefit, 15 million a year or something. Um, everybody is shamed about the quality of some of the private rented accommodation, but also some some people own houses in which they live that are not exactly the highest standard. So we've got all sorts of things going on. We've got um, you know, the number of empty homes potentially is much lower than has been suggested by some of my political colleagues in uh, recent months. Um, we're currently doing a, a building condition survey, which will tell us more about the physical infrastructure. We do need to make to to, um, to, to pick up the landlord registration bill again. Um, you know, I, Why I, has it been dropped? Well, I led the committee that savaged it. It's a really hard bill to draft, and it wasn't drafted very very well in 2013-14. It was riddled with uh, legal errors and political errors. It's still proving very difficult, and Manx Public's going to have to make some choices. You know, for instance, if somebody, um, if we're going to use public funds, taxpayers' funds. Um, 
to, to pay things, is that only going to be to poor people or is it going to be to the landlords who own these properties? We've got to make some uh, fundamental decisions about whether we're prepared to go in and use compulsory purchase in some of these cases. And if so, that's again, that's use of public funds. It's not easy. It's describing a bad situation, you haven't done anything about it. Collecting data, you haven't done anything about it. Doing things about it is tricky. And I can absolutely assure the Manx public that this politician's heart has been devoted to this, my mind has been applied to this, and the things are getting better through systematic action. So in relation to your cold hunger and homelessness report, which I think you promised in, in October, what difference will that make? You know, you talk about, uh, you talk about the diagnosis here. What, what difference will that genuinely make to people who are experiencing poverty on the Isle of Man? Well, we just stick to the homelessness part about it, and I would, I would imagine there might be recommendations along these lines inside it. Number one, to look very closely at the GRI evidence from their shelter and decide what we're going to do next and also th think through alternatives with people like GRI. Number two, we, we do need to try get to, um, to, 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 sh to compare that response and that data we find from GRI with the police and mental health and all those other people who've been involved. Number three, we do need to probably try to get more inside the actual lives of some of those individuals so we are going to do some more focused research we hope on those people um, to understand a bit how, how come they ended up where they are and, and what happened to them next. And other things, um, we do need a, uh, probably, uh, well, we're definitely going to have a housing strategy and as part of that we probably need an anti-homelessness strategy as well. That was Policy and Reform Minister Chris Thomas speaking to Aaron Ibanez there. I'm not suggesting for a second that your union members are necessarily the people involved here, but right. what do you make of those comments? I'm appalled. 2013 was the first reference to uh, to looking at legislation. We're in 2019 now, and it appears from the comments that were made there that we're still looking at having uh, more reports done, looking and collating information, uh, an admission that things need to be done. But there wasn't one comment there that said, by this date, we will have legislation in place to protect the poor, to protect uh, the homeless, to protect people that are living in uh, in slum slum yeah. landlord conditions. Yeah. And six years is a, is a long time uh, to be talking about things. So, and it may be that there's a pile of information out there, but that doesn't help the people that are sleeping rough and are having to find somewhere on a Friday night and a Saturday night. We're coming 1st of September, autumn. We're going to be in winter six weeks' time. It's not going to help them people unless we see some action sooner rather than later. And talking about it, to me, isn't action. This is an extreme, extreme example, of course, but it's a topical one. And is there a fear that if workers and working people aren't supported appropriately then it's going to become an increasing problem do you think it could be you, you don't know what's around the corner you know all we seem to hear from is it becomes just the normal to have a talk shop we'll just talk about these things and give lip service and then nothing happens so then we'll be coming to you know two years time another election with another promise of something Get your finger out and start doing what you're basically, you, you, you put on your manifesto, this is what you're going to do. And basically, you know, the island residents need to remember when it comes to elections, what exactly did their 
uh, MHK do for them? You know, was it said all them years ago that there will be a daily occurrence of using, you know, places to find somewhere to, to, to sleep for the night, sofa surfing, going to a food bank, you know, going to housing matters, a bit like Oliver with his, with his bowl, please, sir, can I have some more? Is that acceptable behaviour in 2019 on the island? The chief minister needs to pull his finger out and start basically talking, not just giving just lip service to people. We want action. We want action. And people will come to the stage where they will demand that. What communication do you have with government and with the Council of Ministers? Council of Ministers, uh, personally, very, very little. Uh, in the in the days of uh, in, in Berners' days, I think he's alluded to the uh, the economic development committee, which met met regularly. But I'm, I'm we discuss and communicate through consultation documents uh, that come out, uh, which tend to be a bit long winded and takes us a, a lot of time mm -hmm. to to complete and send out. But trades council. Uh, Pensions is probably a good example there, where the tr where the joint unions, professional bodies, associations, and stuff met and were putting responses on the pensions issue uh, back to government. But I'm not aware that there's a specific uh, working party or, or or group that sees senior management. We don't meet with Cog or or, in, or anything like that. Uh, we do have access to some chief executive officers uh, some more more than others but there isn't a formal group like the old uh, yeah. economic development group and committee so I would say limited in a formal manner I, I confess I've forgotten the exact title but Mr Moffat referenced a NECD a, a regular uh, meeting which I think stopped. He seemed to think about five years ago. The MNEDF, which, which was between National, unions, government, a, and that uh, is basically the last time they met was, I think, if I remember correctly, would maybe have been the beginning of this year. Um, TUC still take part in that, um, but basically, you know, that was where the Chamber of Commerce was in. But now, Chamber of Commerce have got the year of. Um, the Chief minister, minister, and basically that's where it is. So again. It is a, a, a talk shop with not much action coming from it. It'd be interesting to see when actually the I don't next think invitation the Chamber will be. Of Commerce, uh, this is, and this is my opinion again. I don't think the Ch Chamber of Commerce want organised trade unionism uh, because that's a threat, isn't it? To them, it's a threat to the employer, or it can be seen as a threat to the employer. You know, if 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 the if the working classes and and the workforce uh, is dysfunctional, broken up, don't communicate, aren't in a position to uh, to make make demands and requests for whatever reasons, that, that's got to be an advantage to employers. Yeah, whatever, however you want to butter that up, that's it. It, it is them and us. Mm -hmm. A slight tangent, but it's related. I'm going to play another extract from my interview with Bernard Moffat now. I asked him what powers he felt trade unions have. I think they're hemmed around now uh, uh, by legislation. They're hidebound uh, by aspects of the legislation. Um, 
I was very fortunate as a lay official in the early 80s and then the full-time official that there was virtually no trade union legislation except the 36 uh, Trade Disputes Act, which was uh, famously used against me. I was served an injunction under it. Um, but there was very little um, formal uh, requirements. And certainly uh, then you could um, take industrial action, for example, on a show of hands in a workplace. Now there have to be uh, ballots. I don't see that as being a particularly uh, bad thing, but it was much more easy because you could, the whole process moved faster. And of course, people did want to have movement at that time. Another aspect, of course, that's changed dramatically is people were prepared to go uh, the full way. They'd go on uh, strike if necessary. Whereas today, with the kind of pressures that are on people, um, mortgages, you know, commitments generally, there's a great reluctance to go down that road. Um, some of the groups um, back in the 80s uh, took the view that they had nothing to lose. I mean, we had a particularly bitter dispute in the uh, uh, brewery uh, industry, and uh, that went on for just over four weeks over Christmas. That shows the, the resolve of the people at that time, that they were prepared to stay out at a time of year when they really needed money because their, their wages were appalling, you know. That was Bernard Moffat speaking to me earlier this week. I spoke to him in total for about 40 minutes. Um, that interview will be uploaded in its entirety as a standalone podcast uh, for those who wish and wish to listen to it. Pardon me. Um, it will be uploaded at the conclusion of this programme and you can go to the Manx Radio website, click podcasts and click perspective to listen to that. We have had some comments coming in as well. Thank you very much for your texts and emails. We'll come to those just after the one o'clock news. Take care. Listen, join us again after one. The Nation Station, Radio. Faster Mai, good afternoon and welcome back to Perspective on Manx Radio. As promised, we have had some messages coming into the studio. William, over to you. Thanks, Dolan. Yes, so the first one we've had in is from David H. He says... It is a case of striking the right balance. In the 1970s, strong unions nearly ruined Britain. Now, much weaker unions are allowing employers to abuse their powers. That's from David H. And we've also had one in on what we were talking about, poverty, which, and this actually focuses on the sort of the affluent society tag that we mentioned. Um, This texter says that it is clear that a high proportion of residents are very well off by the high priced cars that they drive and holidays they have but there are many working people struggling to get by this was bound to happen when running a low tax system so that the well off get richer and the rest struggle but this texter thinks it is unlikely to change Thank you very much for those messages. Thanks, Will, as well. Um, keep them coming in, one double six, one double seven, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. Let's take David H's point first, if we could, with our live guests. Do you do you share the view that it's a case of striking a balance? Pardon the unfortunate pun, but um, it, in hmm. terms of union strength, it it is. But if I can just go back to the uh, to the comment about the, I mean, they they said about the uh, the the seventies. Uh, when unions were very strong and uh, they were going to bring the country to uh, to a standstill or words along that uh, that effect. Uh, I don't think that's strictly true. Uh, if if you go back and look at a lot of the 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 big strikes uh, and the, the the 
what I call the national strikes, like the miners, the railway workers and stuff, they they were striking over over major issues and the knock on effect of of those wins, if if you like at that time, were that the, the smaller unions and the less well off and people that weren't as well represented reaped some of the benefits as a knock-on effect of that uh, better terms and conditions because they 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 they, they were introduced na- nationally and smaller unions picked up on that so i don't think they particularly brought the country to a standstill they certainly hadn't had an effect uh, striking the balance uh, like I say, if you pardon the pun, it, it, it's very difficult because people have got mortgages, they've got loans, uh, they've got families, they've got all of the things that go with that. And to it, take it any... comes back to what Mr Moffat was saying uh, before the break about the immediate pressures on people which they can't ignore, I suppose. Yeah, you, you can't, yeah. To take any form of industrial action where you're not going to be paid because you've withdrawn your labour which is always a last resort uh, but at the end of the day that's the workers rights they can do that the one thing that man has actually got is the ability to say I ain't going to work there's lots of other things that are legislated for and you're told what to do and you can't do this that and the other but one of the ones that we have got is the ability to withdraw our our labour and I think uh, taking the point that he made in the 70s you know from the time that Thatcher came in there was legislation put in place for unions not to be able to, as Bernard said, you know, years gone by, many years gone by, it would be blow a whistle or a hand in the air. It's basically we're going out and that was it. She changed all that. She changed it that unions now have to jump through a lot of hoops before they basically do any kind of dispute. Hmm. So, you know, there's always that. So, yeah, I get and I take on board what he's actually saying about that. The second message, the thing that I took from that is perhaps if we talk about an affluent society, you can have maybe a superficial affluence would that be fair in that your material possessions if you're judged upon those you can look as though you're well off perhaps without necessarily the cracks showing there's a lot of people out there uh, i think they've got a lot of material possessions but they maybe don't belong to them because they're on hp mm-hmm. and they can't afford the hp payments because of uh, various issues in, in the workplace low pay minimum wage zero hour contracts mm-hmm. Uh, so it's okay you can you can drive around in a nice car but if you haven't paid for it and you, you you've got to look at the reasons why people default uh, and why yeah, do people th- always and it's always that they have and they don't you know we're not talking about somebody who's driving around in a car who's got a nice car basically or somebody who's got a nice car and lives in a social house and house you know we're talking about people who's given benefits here who's earning millions of pounds and not paying as far as we're concerned the, the appropriate tax because the government won't deal with them issues so what do they do we'll squeeze the middle and the bottom so that's what we'll do we'll just do a race to the bottom and basically set that conquering divide situation is look what this one's got and you haven't got it but you're working x amount hours that's wrong like I say, thank you for those messages. We have got some more, which we'll come to shortly. Keep the texts coming in, one double six, one double seven. In the meantime, let's hear a bit more from Bernard Moffat. I asked him whether the trade union movement was or is a credible opposition. I think it was, and uh, it. I mean, if if you look at the uh, uh, headlines of the time, and we put. Uh, 
uh, we kept all the news cuttings. We put them into uh, uh, MNH Library. Uh, it, it was very vibrant at the time and very uh, ferocious, vicious sometimes in terms of the uh, exchanges between government and the union movement. It could get uh, very vitriolic. I mean, it amuses me these days how sensitive some politicians are because in those days you could uh, have a right old ding-dong uh, politically with somebody and um, 45 minutes later bump into them and have a perfectly normal conversation. People could uh, separate, if you like, um, what you were doing from the point of view of uh, the union movement and social justice from the personal side. And uh, that was very useful because, um, as I say, it was very intense. Before we came on the air today, um, you were saying as union representatives you need a thick skin. Do you think that politicians, union members still have that? I have. I, I, I think think I have. I, I, I do separate uh, work and 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 uh, leisure. Two totally different different areas. What what I believe in will remain the same. What I say when I'm at work, on behalf of our our members, uh, is another thing. And when I'm in meetings and we have uh, discussions and heated discussions, uh, and I, I leave that meeting, I do, I do switch back to I'm doing my job. The people that I'm speaking to are doing their jobs. I might not agree with what they say very often, don't agree with what they say, but at the end of the day, we're both doing doing, doing a job. Uh, I don't shy away. What I say, you know, I, I do separate. It's not personal. But at the end of the day, if the member's coming to me and saying this, then I have no issue to deliver a message at all. And if they want to take, you know, if they want to take the fact that they feel that I'm personally attacking them, that's that's their insecurity. I have no issue in delivering a message. Mr. Moffat actually used the word vitriolic in some of the discussions or negotiations, perhaps between unions and and government. Does that still apply? Do you think? Uh, personally, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think that we uh, there's a an understanding. I think the way society's developed, there's there's an understanding of what I don't want to be accused of bullying a minister or bullying somebody at a JNC meeting. Often the very so thing we are, that you're trying obviously to, the very to thing prevent. That we're yeah. trying to stop, yeah. So I am very aware that we need to be uh, clear on what we say when we're delivering a message, mm -hmm. but deliver that message without being seen to bully, harass, victimise and make anything personal on an individual basis. What sort of tone do you need to strike in order to be taken seriously perhaps I don't I don't think there's, there's a tone um, I think you know the, the, there's there's I suppose a mutual um, I think there's a mutual understanding that you will go in you know and as I said you can't put personalities in this if we've got a message to deliver, you act. You actually deliver what you've got to say. That's it, and it's constructive. It's a constructive criticism, and that's what comes across the table. And if they don't want to take it like that, that's their issue. That's their problem. I have no issues. You walk out, as Bernard says, you go in, you make your, you deliver your message, 
at the benefit of what you're going in for to the member you walk out you shake hands and that's it it's done and it's dusted you can walk through the street and it's hello that's it if they want to take personal credence at the fact that they feel like you're personally attacking that's not that's not something i would do but i, I you know i can't speak on behalf of the person who sits across the table from me but we do get i do get it i go in the room and you know i will get a very bad sometimes attitude from somebody um, from a manager or oh, quite detrimental in how they talk and call me love I'm not anybody's love um, I'm there as a, as a representative and a facilitator of a voice and that's what I do I asked Mr Moffat um, what sort of person is required to be a union representative um, or someone perhaps who's prepared to take a stand the sorts of people <coughs> who were involved in unions are they, are they, is there a, a requirement to have that sort of fire in the belly if you like i think so um manx people are slow to uh, uh move in that uh, sense the union movement had been um fairly vibrant here in the 1920s the old general workers union which the uh, tgwu subsumed in 1929 um it was quite um active at that time the the union movement and of course it led to a draconian legislation the 1936 trade disputes act just as the uh, activity in the 1980s led to the trade union act and the employment act of the early 1990s so it had this uh, cyclic thing manx people manx working people would take a lot and then eventually they would turn and as I say, although I'd been in the movement for about um, a decade and a half by the time uh, I became an activist in 1980, that was just a point where things boiled over. And uh, for 15 years, I would say, we had um, uh, quite significant activity. There were a lot of strikes, for example, and a lot of disputes which didn't go to a strike, but they were quite um, nasty anyway. On both sides, I hasten to add, it wasn't... Uh, um, it could be difficult for trade unionists. To be an activist then, I see as being very much like it's getting today because um, I get feedback, because uh, I'm on social media a lot, as you know, uh, often criticising Max Radio, uh, um, but I get a lot of feedback from people. And um, certainly at the time, uh, there's been disputes on, including and up to the one that's on currently with teachers, I get feedback. And uh, what astonishes me is that people are um, still reluctant to speak out, despite the government uh, implying that after the uh, reforms of the 1990s and the subsequent review of that legislation uh, from the turn of this century, that there's more protection at work. Um, Sadly, I still see the, the sort of discrimination and fear in the workplace um, that will eventually lead to what's a fairly boisterous industrial relations situation now uh, boiling over. We've heard some fairly damning comments there from Mr Moffat. Um, are, they, are they views you share? Yes. Yeah, I think they're very fair comments, mm -hmm. uh, particularly around what may or may not happen in the uh, the future with uh, in industrial unrest and industrial relations. Uh, things do need to change and they need to change very quickly because 
uh, as a full-time trade union official we can only keep the lid on things if you like and try and uh, we can only keep the lid on things for so, for so long and try and negotiate and try and have talks and try and reason with people before our members start saying to us actually you're not doing your job properly now we want to take some action and you keep advising us to try this first and try that first and try various other options first we've had enough uh, we want to take more militant action and that's simmering away in the background and I don't know how long it's going to be before we see unrest on a scale that probably going back to Bernard's day. Uh, I don't know how much you're able to comment on ongoing matters, of course, but um, just this week we've got some industrial action um, coming with the National Association of mm -hmm. Head Teachers. Earlier this year we saw disputes from postal workers We've seen discussions recently, again, uh, with bus drivers, I believe. So perhaps that's coming to fruition, what you were talking about. You can speak generally that, that there, are, there clearly is unrest in some sectors. There is, and, it, and it won't be long, as, as Mick has said, before it basically starts to, to bubble over. Um, people need to, the government or any employer needs to understand their biggest asset they have is their employees. And they have to have some work-life balance. And they're not getting that anymore. Because, as I said, whether that's a drive-down of somebody's terms and conditions or the, or the wage isn't, you know, it's, it's border on min minimum wage. And the expectation is you're going to work 40-something hours a week or 53. You have no work-life balance. You haven't got that uh, disposable income to go out and socialise. You can't do anything with children, etc. And people are going to say, I've had enough. And they, in, that's when there will be that, that, that unrest. You look at when Bernard first said about, um, you know, do you need fire in your belly to become a representative? That's where we started. That's where, that's where I started. You know, the likes of Angus Kelly, Bernard Moffat, Billy Noble, um, going into meetings, listening to what they had to say, the injustice that was surrounding everybody, how people were basically being picked on at work because they could. Why does a bully bully? Because they can. And because they build momentum when they're not challenged. That they go in and they have the fear of, basically, how am I actually going to pay my mortgage? So there's that submissive role of, of an employee as well. And times have changed. you know. And I think now people are saying, enough is enough and they'll come to us and that's what they say what what's our next plan they need to have an understanding where they can go what rights have they got moving forward that's when we start to engage and basically with the employer to have some resolution if it doesn't work it doesn't work we'll go to the next step keep your messages coming in we've had some on text and on email we'll come to those after this the nation station Manx radio Welcome back. You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the trade union movement on the Isle of Man, both past and present. Some messages coming into the studio from listeners who are listening live. William. Thanks, Donald. Yeah, we um, we spoke a bit about education earlier and people coming out of school maybe not knowing what a union is. Well, Blaine has got in touch from the USA saying... Um, a key phrase that she hasn't heard on what unions do is collective bargaining. 
and she says that's what you should tell students. One person's voice is often not heard by an employer, but the voices of a majority of workers is harder to ignore. I'm currently living in America, in a state where the last governor managed to push through legislation banning collective bargaining by public workers. He did it during his first week in office as a way to reward the big businesses that put him in office. So be careful, voices can be silenced. Collective bargaining? Yep, yep. very important. It's yep. what we're about. A uh, very good point that's been, mm-hmm. been raised there. Uh, the majority work together. That's clues in the name, isn't it? Unions uh, acting as a collective on behalf of society and our members. I think I think that's our first ever comment in from Wisconsin, by yeah, the way. Yeah, so, no. so Thank you very much. International for that. reach. There I can't I can't say I'm familiar with the scenario in the United States. No, Are I'm you? not. No, no, not aware of that. Okay, we'll move on. Um, we've had a text in from a once proud Manxman saying that growing the population has not worked for this island. Growing up in the 60s, we were much better off than today. Now we have a bigger population, homelessness, backed up appointments for GPs, etc. Um, neglected footpaths. Um, how many people using the food banks are Eastern Europeans or recent residents? Um, he says this government must go around with their eyes closed. This lovely island has gone backwards, running down for what? Run down for what? This is not a progress unlike... Sorry, this is not progress unless you are a high net worth individual pulling government strings. An interesting comment there, which I think does back up what we were saying before, that it's the high net worth individuals who seem to be... I think it's a very sad comment, uh, the way it started off, a once proud maximum. I think all maximums should be proud Hmm. and and, and continue to be uh, because there's a lot of hard work being undertaken out there by manxmen and manx wing women mm-hmm. uh, and I think that needs to con- to continue uh, I think feeling a bit fed up may- maybe about the, the way the island is- has changed mm. uh, and I don't particularly agree with the comment or the, or the question raised about mm. uh, the type of people and nationalities that yeah. are accessing well, I, I, uh, the we, food we, banks whoever we, we can dispel that actually because we had we had Neil Mellon um on mm-hmm. the program not all that long ago and it's it's uh, a very small percentage i think that are from yeah. um outside the island Elsewhere. man full and stop i, 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 I don't, don't think it should matter where where, where you're, you're from. from if if you need to access a food bank wherever that may be in the world then that that's a, a, a sad situation whether it's on the mm-hmm. island man or, or anywhere else but i do take the the broader picture that's being painted there about uh, the perception that the island's changed for the worst An interesting comment that's coming from David again. Um, I'm not sure whether you will have had any experience of this, but is one problem that with modern technology, fewer employees are required or people with different skills are needed to do the same jobs? The automation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you see that in Marks and Spencers and test scores. You know, I'm of the opinion I don't want to go and basically operate a service when I want to stand and speak to somebody. Because if you look on the social side of things, you will get people who maybe live by themselves and that may be the only interaction they have. 
you know, yeah. with the checkout operator within um, Tesco's, Marks and Spencer's, ShopRite, whatever. They want to engage with somebody. And I think that seems to be lost through technology. You know, it's very easy to pick a phone up or to send an email. You know, where's the art of conversation gone? Where is that five minutes of wonderful given to somebody? You know, the elderly yeah. person who is reliant totally on a postman to come knocking on the door. And it's not just the service provided, it's that, hello, how are you? And they may be the first indicators that something's not right. Mm -hmm. And I've always believed, you know, automation is the way forward. You, you can't get away from that. But, you know, you have to take value in being able to engage and to have that conversation with somebody. Yeah. Okay, and an, a message we've had in from Vince says... Um, I would caution any young person about becoming webbed up with the likes of the militant Unite Union. The ideals of those such as the Tollpuddle Martyrs have long since given way to hard left-wing agitation bordering on the revolutionary. One only has to hear the bile issuing forth from such as John MacDonnell to understand what the current union membership largely consists of. I would have no desire to pay a subscription to an organisation which in turn gives my money to the anti-democratic Labour Party, something which holds society and particularly the Isle of Man and our way of life in the highest contempt. That's from Vince. Oh. It would be interesting to see whether Vince is an Isle of Man resident or uh, an off-island resident. I can, I, I can only presume that that's in reference to the, the Labour Party in the UK, not, yes. the, not the Manx Labour yes. Party. He does have a Manx.net... Yes. Um, we well, don't actually have our subs as far as uh, as far as I'm aware. Our, our subs we we don't affiliate to a political party in the in in the UK. Uh, and to be perfectly we're Manx honest, based. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, when you actually um, subscribe, if you want to become a member, it clearly states if you want to peer towards a political contribution on there. It's on the form. And he's 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 got his opinion. <laughs> is is Unite militant? <laughs> I think militant. all unions can be militant can, when they need to be and that bit, brings yeah. us back to uh, democracy and negotiations and, and talks and at what level those talks take place so any union can be militant I mean, well the members yeah. can be militant yeah. when they need to be uh, and that's what it is you know we go back to when we first spoke and said you know we facilitate voices that's the collective bargaining part of when you're moving forward you know I don't go wake up today and say oh I'm going to be militant I'm going to do this that and the other I go on the basis of what it's not that it's about having that constructive um, dialogue being able to be able to pick a phone up and say we've got issues in this area of work can we have a meeting blah 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 but don't shy away from anything hmm. Any industrial action that's manifested ultimately by people withdrawing the labour and going on strike, I see that as a. I would see that as a failure on my part, and a failure on behalf of the uh, the employer, because well, the clue's in my job title, negotiations officer, and if you can't negotiate a settlement, and the last resort is 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 strike action, then and that's the bit people see, of course, because that's that's, the, that's what people see. Yeah, and going back to the earlier conversation, I think we are going to be going down that route. Not, not saying that tomorrow morning we're going to be balloting to bring everybody out on a strike on the island, but I think there's going to be more. Uh, there's going to be more disputes come to the come to the fore. There's going to be more 
dispute lodged with the industrial relations officer on the island. I just I can see it coming, and it, it's not far off the horizon. Vince's email raises another interesting point, which I'm going to jump on, which is um, the politics of trade unionism and the affiliation with a political party or a political mm-hmm. movement, or lack of maybe, but anyway. Um, I spoke to Mr Moffat um, about this. He said, in his words, trade unionism is a social justice movement. If it's a social justice movement, is that inherently left-leaning? You've You've said before that you've got some conservative views with a small c which which would imply it's not quite as straightforward as that maybe well i'm certainly not a christian but if you look at some of the beliefs of christians they um they they believe in a socially just society i certainly wouldn't describe peter murcott who was an active member of the trade union movement for many years as a, as a communist but he was a very committed trade unionist and Although some people didn't like his other views, he was uh, a very passionate supporter, a very articulate supporter of uh, the movement at the time. And um, there were a lot of people like that. I mean, we embraced everybody, uh, Peter at that extreme, to people who were uh, supporters of the Communist Party, you know. Um, But ideologically, the broad swathe of uh, union members on the island had no political affiliation at all. When the election came round, they voted in the same old way they always had. They voted for the person and the platform that they put out. And invariably, most of those people were independents, although the Labour Party did have a a stronger um, presence uh, back in those days. I think it was very sad that uh, the split occurred with um, when... Peter Caron established liberal Vannon, to be perfectly honest, because Peter was very, very committed uh, to uh, the trade union movement. He was a member, like me, of the Transport and General Workers Union, probably still is, although I'm no longer a union member, I hasten to add, um, of, uh, uh, the, of what replaced it, Unite. Um, but uh, you equally had people who were independents who were supportive, um, including uh, some ministers in governments of the day would, would come and engage with you and they were supportive of the movement. So it was very broadly based ideologically. But, I mean, try try and get that through to people. It's very difficult in the Isle of Man. Well, the, people the, love the old myths. The reason I ask is trade unionism, socialism, or kind of left-leaning politics are all kind of banded into one in people's perceptions a lot of the time, I think. Yeah. Is that I, fair? I mean, yeah, I think that is a fair... Uh, and, and not just on the Isle of Man, I might add. Yeah, this it's, is a, it's a fair construct, that, and that's why, um, I suppose, uh, uh, well, I refer to the current Tinwald as Tinwald Tories, but I think there's probably a perception amongst the majority of members of Tinwald. I think it's a bit unkind to call them Tories, actually, but um, there's probably a perception that the organised labour movement is going to, I don't know, lead to the um, next international or something. But uh, I, d- I doubt that will happen in the Isle of Man. But returning to the point, what is absolutely certain, I mean, I would stake money on it, even if I'm not around to see it. There will be industrial unrest if you don't provide channels for working people to express themselves. And the best way that they have to express themselves is through the uh, union movement. Now, today, uh, I'm not going to criticise my colleagues um, 
who've taken over in uh, Unite or in Prospect or any of the other unions on the island. But uh, I think they need to up their game as well and um, uh, develop a higher profile because they have a tremendous responsibility on their shoulders to um, all working people in the Isle of Man, and uh, they have uh, they have strength and influence, and they should they should exercise it. I I think they can do it um, positively and competently. I hasten to add that our live guests in the studio have not heard any of this audio before, having been played it live. Some interesting parallels between things that Mr. Moffat says and that you've already said in the program, though. One of which is that you foresee some more perhaps disquiet amongst the working classes. And Mr Moffat's comments about your roles being of, of heightened interest or of heightened importance yeah. in, in the near future, is that something that you uh, reflect, yeah. share? He, 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 he's right, and I think off the back of heightened industrial unrest, however that manifests itself, that will result in myself and Debbie as the full-time officers uh, being seen more in the in the public domain and having to make more public statements, uh, we have had uh, joint consultative committees, joint negotiating committees, uh, health and safety committees, all sorts of things uh, set up in various areas. Uh, some of them work very well. Some of them haven't met for some considerable yep. time. Uh, some of them are cancelled at short notice and I think that there needs to be more emphasis put on facilities time for our members and our reps and don't forget and I have to say the employers some of the managers as well because they are members of of our unions uh, it's too easy to cancel a meeting and postpone we'll have it next week we'll have it the week after we'll have it the week after Meanwhile, things continue to fester. So I think there needs to be more focus on consultation and the correct bodies and channels being set up for that to take place, uh, both at local level and at senior level with senior ministers. You've mentioned about the public-facing elements of your roles there. Um, a slight irony when we're live on the radio, I suppose, but how how big a part of your jobs is that? I, uh, if anybody rings or wants to have interviews, I'm fine. I can get the message out. We do that via social media. I do interviews. I'll post things on our um, office window, you know, if we've got if we want to air grievances I, I have no issue about raising my profile at all um, and as I said take on board yes that was then in Bernard's time and that's what he says and this is now moving forward we're in a mm. different position um, and we are I am new um, I've only been in the position from I think July last year when um, Eric Holmes retired um, but yeah, anybody knows me who comes to me if they've got issues, they know that I'm that I'll go forward and I move with everything that they want. If I can put my cynical hat on a bit, if you guys have a low profile, perhaps that means you're doing a better job in a way. If it means that you're not having to be sort of seen in the public eye, perhaps. I think you're back to how you frame up your statistics and <laughs> and things. Yeah, it, it could be one of two things, couldn't it? Either there's very little going on and we're being very. Uh, very quiet and we're not being proactive 
uh, to there's a lot of industrial unrest and they're always in, in they're always in in the press so there's a there's a fine balance uh, I don't think that people want to be hearing my voice and, and Debbie's voice and opinion every, every day through whatever media channels are out are out there uh, there's a there's a time and a place and I think moving forward now you're likely to be hearing a lot more of us because we will be being put in a position where we have to be uh, a lot more a lot more vocal because normal channels of communication aren't, aren't working and I haven't got the bit of audio to hand but Mr Moffat to paraphrase said that he felt like the front door of Manx Radio in his time was a bit of a revolving one that he spent that much time in here so I think he became part of the furniture but um, I hope perhaps maybe that that's not becoming the case for you guys do you think your role has changed we've spoken a bit already about the uh, increased importance of men- uh, mental health for your union members and stress levels what are the factors have come into it now for for your jobs mental health is the big the big issue isn't it so socially wise we're becoming more uh more active in assistance and support that we're giving giving to mem to members uh but i can see in the near future that as well as looking after social aspects of uh, of people's work-life balance we are going to be seeing a move towards more militancy and more traditional if you like traditional trade unionism and trade union work because people are becoming unsettled in the workplace uh, they are saying to us we've had enough we need to be taking some form of action we're not going to be uh, you're not just going to change our terms and conditions we're not going to be taking on more and more work for for the for the same so i think there will be a move towards what people perceive as traditional trade unionism and as opposed to the social work that we do and your role evolves you know what i do today I might not do tomorrow what I do next week. So it basically, you hit the ground and you start running. And you, you basically know which direction you're going. So it is it's a, it is that, you know, you're evolving from when I first joined as a trade union, when I was a member, to a lay official, to where I'm actually now as the regional officer. It all changes. And basically, you know, you, you grow with the... The amount of information you have, you grow and have the ability to adapt to whatever changes is put forward to you as well. We're swiftly running out of time, but we'll come to some closing comments if we could, William. Some more coming into the inbox. Yeah, thank you, Don. Um, we've had one in from Stephen, <coughs> oh, excuse me, who says, Is there still a problem with unions being given the right to represent their members in the workplace? I don't think there's a problem. I think what people don't understand to uh, to be officially recognised, there there are certain things that they've got to recognise for us. Uh, so disciplinary issues. Uh, if you're a member of a union, they've got to allow allow us to go and represent you at, uh, at any disciplinary hearings. But collective bargaining. So talking to employers about your pay, they don't necessarily have to recognise us for that. Uh, unless we've got a, a recognition, a, a, a agreement. recognition agreement, and recognition agreements generally, uh, a lot of employers will recognise us anyway. 
the higher the membership, the better. If we've got more than 50% membership within a particular work area, uh, they have to recognise us for collective bargaining. Well, they've got to have a very good reason not and to recognise us. And under employment legislation, anyway, you know, you have a right to be accompanied. Whether the yeah. employer recognises Unite, Prospect, they've got a right to be to representation. As a, as a closing comment, we've only got about a minute to go, but generally speaking, do you find employers are, are receptive to the views of unions and their members on the island specifically? I don't think they're as receptive now as they were in the 90s when I moved across uh, when I was working alongside like the Burnham Offit, Angus Kelly uh, and various other people. Uh, so no, I don't think they, they are as receptive now and we're seeing more and more hiving off uh, privatisation, call it whatever you like. Uh, I call it privatisation. We're seeing more and more of that and those companies that tended to be taking over what was traditionally government posts, they say all the right things, uh, but, you see, but it, we don't see the, the action. You see that a small onion that seems to know have grown and there's that many layers being put on that you basically, you've got a manager for this, a manager for that, a manager for that. So you basically, you're caught up with trying to get some resolution for you know, a group of workers and you've got to see this one who's now a manager for that and it seems to be a top-heavy triangle um, of management structures and all this. We need these people and they do, what, ineffectual management? Thank you very much to my guests for joining us in the studio. Thanks Thank to you. William King as well. And thanks for your comments and thanks for listening. Take care.